What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All of the Above Podcast Extra. We do these in between our full episodes. Our full episodes, of course, drop every other week. And in between that, we drop these passing periods where it's just Jeff and I checking in on some stories that perhaps we might have missed in our full episodes. Of course, our full episodes are are chock full of, of news and headlines and dope guests and shout outs and all that. And we'd like to throw those on the YouTube. So subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. It's youtube.com slash all of the above. Jeff, man, let me tell you. I am now entering spring break. Uh, shout out to those of you who are leaving spring break. I, I'm sorry for you. You're you're headed back to work, and I'm heading towards a, a nice week off and a nice week of hopefully some chilling. And uh, right before leaving for spring break, I went to campus, and we actually we teachers have been assigned these web cameras for our classrooms because we are shifting towards hybrid instruction, and we might have some students joining us in the classroom for the first time all year. And our district picked up these cameras to help us in case we need to, you know, walk around, um, write things on the board. And these cameras, they could like track our movements. So like if I get up and I move to this side of the board and I'm writing something and then this other side of the board, like the camera tracks my movement, which is kind of cool. But also we only have, what, two months of this school year left. And Jeff, I am wondering, what is next year going to look like? Is this kind of cool, but kind of creepy camera going to be the future of my teaching experience. Jeff, what's what's the deal? What's going on with these, these cameras and Zoom school and virtual school options as the pandemic hopefully winds down or at one point will be in the past? What's going to be the deal with these cameras, man? What do you think? Well, you know, I will. I'm. I'm not going to be so bold, Manuel, as to uh, predict the future. Uh, you know, <laughs> on the use of these cameras right here, I will tell you it's definitely what you said. It's like kind of cool and kind of creepy, for sure. Yep. Um, because the, so so the the like innovator inside me is like we have long needed, especially especially at the high school level, ways to to break school out of the, the four walls of the classroom and the many more walls of the school, right? So, you know, ways for kids to like have internships, but still be able to access classroom instruction asynchronously or, um, you know, catch up more effectively if they fall behind because they broke their leg or they're out sick or whatever, right? And so when I think about it through that lens, the idea of using technology to effectively capture. And I think, I think honestly, we're just like scratching the surface on how we could capture some of the experience of being in class with cameras, right? I mean, honestly, I think, think about what like a set of VR goggles could do. Mm. If you, if you had like missed a day of class, you could like still sit in a desk in class right and like and like see yeah. other kids react to the discussion and stuff okay now I'm, I'm just just go with me on this here right they're like i think there's possibilities for bringing uh the experience of being a more immersive a more enriched experience of being in school that's better than just zoom uh, through the use of new technologies, right? So there's part of me that wants to be optimistic about that because I think it can create space for different, for valuing different kinds of things besides seat time. And that's been a big challenge, uh, especially in high schools. 
Now, the other side of the coin <laughs> on that is, you know, you, you have these calls. So, um, you know, this, uh, this article in particular that we, we're responding to, um, an early March article in uh, the 74, you know, about teacher cams revolutionizing education after the pandemic ends, of course, includes some thoughts from, uh, you know, from some conservative think tank folks like uh, the Thomas uh, B. Fordham Institute, where, you know, people want to talk about the use of cameras in classrooms as a means for accountability, right? Um, so, like, got to get the... the we got to hold the bummy teachers accountable, so we're going to record them and then presumably either fire them or, you know, give them a poor evaluation, whatever, if they're, if the recording doesn't demonstrate some version of, of effective instruction. Um, and, you know, I, so I think to me, that's where I start to really dramatically lose interest. Um, and I, I have worked, Manuel, in a, in, in a situation somewhat similar, uh, somewhat different um, before. And I can just tell you, it does not, that approach to accountability and evaluation has all kinds of unintended consequences, like creating deep mistrust between employees and employer and, um, you know, having, um, having people like try to find clandestine ways to do normal human stuff, like go to the bathroom or whatever, you know, that uh, you don't want to mm -hmm. be caught on camera doing, right? So when we hear about stories of Amazon employees like peeing in bottles and stuff, okay, it's because of a culture of accountability that's like, let's film everything they do and make sure they're working efficiently, you know, 24 right. hours a day. Um, and you could be damn sure that the people at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute are not being filmed as they write their conservative think tank pieces. They probably have, an, you know, a, a, a bar with different herbal teas to choose from and free bagels okay so so um, sounds lovely it does sound lovely doesn't it wouldn't it be nice if any school in america even treated their teachers half as nicely as that so um yeah man it is yeah i'm, I'm a little torn because i see possibility and i see like 1984 at the same time yeah yeah it's interesting because there's you know there's like several sides to this right there's the teacher side in terms of Myself as a classroom teacher, being on camera, I've been on camera all year. I actually have felt fine being on camera all year. Granted, it's different because I'm just, I'm at home um, during most of this instruction, but I appreciate that I could record my class sessions for students who might've missed or whose internet might've dropped. And me conceptualizing the future after 17 years in the classroom, me thinking about the next several years and the possibility that a student who missed class because they had to do this, they had to do that, or whatever came up, knowing that they could just watch a recording or watch me virtually from wherever they're at. I like that, you know, just, you know, generally speaking, I like the fact that, you know, students are going to be able to access instruction, even if they can't physically be present. And of course, who knows what the future of this pandemic holds with variants and all that, like who knows what, what sort of uncertainty might be there that might want, that might cause more families to want to keep their kids home. So there's like the teacher side of it, but then there's the the family side of it, of course, uh, especially families who feel that school is perhaps not as loving as an environment as it should be for their student. There have been plenty of episodes that we've recorded, you know, in doing the show, plenty of incidents where students have been harmed in one way or another by things that either a teacher said or just things happening at school. And, and 
Plus, you add the element of the pandemic, and you could see that families could perhaps be well served by being able to have their student engage with learning at home. Online virtual learning has worked out very well for some students. I certainly have students who I had prior to the pandemic and who I still have now who have done marvelously like in the virtual environment, like way better than they did in the in-person environment. But then there's also the sort of like the student aspect of it. And I'm thinking like we're reopening and a lot of other schools have reopened. And we've seen like, especially at the high school level, rather low numbers of students who've opted to like go in person and, and enjoy it in person. Part of it is because it's not the same in person that they're used to, of course. Um, there's all these restrictions, social distancing, you're still staring at a screen. So if that's going to be the case, why not just stay home? But also part of it might also be just like, just, I mean, high school is a tough place, man. High school is a very, very, very tough place to be. And sure, for some students, they love it and they flourish and the social interactions are great. But there are always students who are, who really struggle with that. And being able to like still attend my classes and learn from the comfort of my own house where no one's gonna bully me, no one's gonna judge me for what I'm wearing or for how I speak, that sounds like a lovely option. So in those ways, like, sounds great. This I, uh, The possibility that we might have a Zoom aspect, or I shouldn't even say Zoom because that's not even what my district uses, but a, a virtual webcam aspect of instruction available for families and for students and for teachers who want to help, help make sure that their students don't fall behind. But then there's the dystopian part of it, that 1984 part that you just mentioned, that like, if I'm on camera all the time, Sure, right now, me personally, I would feel fine with it because I love my administration, I love my district, I love the folks I work with, and to me, I wouldn't get any sense that like somebody's watching me on camera trying to evaluate whether or not I'm making the most of every minute bell-to-bell -bell instruction and all these other things. But that's not the case for most teachers, and that hasn't always been the case for me. So like, I dread the fact that teachers might be on camera and be evaluated in that kind of way. So that's why the National Education Association has long been opposed to cameras in the classroom. Thomas B. Fordham Institute, like shocker that this conservative think tank would want teachers on camera because there's this idea that teachers perhaps are, you know, they don't do enough work, they're, they hide behind their unions, they, they get over, they're like, you know, they don't step up to the plate, they don't hold high expectations, whatever, whatever. So let's put them on camera and ensure that they're doing what we want, which is a problem for the reasons you outlined, but it's also a problem for all those regions that have passed bills or moving, looking to pass bills to severely restrict what teachers are allowed to uh, teach and to say. So like as a history teacher, imagine as a history teacher teaching in a um, politically conservative area where you're not allowed to teach about, you know, critical race theory or have any kind of critical view of America and you're on camera the whole time and they're making sure that when you talk about the Civil War, you talk about it being a state's rights issue. Those sorts of things like that is another level of dystopian that is like terrifying to say the least. Yeah, man, uh, that, <laughs> that is pretty freaking terrifying. That is, uh, you know, that's the 1984-ish type of scenario that uh, you know, I, th I think we both both worry about. Um, I I think that to me, you know, I I am in favor of the use of technology to expand means of access to the curriculum and to uh, instructional experiences. Uh, 
and to bridge some of the gap between school and home. I do think that I, I have a lot of concern about that, the footage being used for evaluative purposes, um, apart from if, unless a teacher like wanted that, you know, I mean, I know when I was right. a principal in New York, that was an option in the evaluation system at the time. And I had a few teachers who were like, oh, I'd rather just like film myself and submit the video and then we can de debrief the video. And I'm like, okay, cool, you know. Um, and in some ways it made my life a little bit easier as a principal because I could watch the video whenever I had time, right? And didn't have to yeah. necessarily be free at third period, you know, on Tuesday. Um, the same time that like, you know, a parent comes in and wants to meet with me or whatever. So, um, so I think, I think something like that, uh, would make sense to me. Um, I do. So I, you know, I was telling you before I used to work in an environment like this, right? So in, in college, I had a job at a, at a large grocery distribution, uh, network corporation, let's say. Uh, so like the places where everything you buy at, you know, Ralph's or, you know, whatever your local neighborhood grocer is, comes from these huge, huge warehouses. And the, uh, the company would send around these like, you know, these dudes in white shirts, these like, you know, engineer types with clipboards who would literally follow you around while you were going around loading all of the loads for a particular store onto this forklift and dropping it on a truck. And, um, you know, I think some of the impulse to like hold teachers accountable in this way is actually only just like one small step removed from that kind of an environment where they're like, okay, it should take you six minutes to do this thing. So we're going to time you and see how you efficiently you're, you know, you're using your six minutes. Right. And the reality is that nobody who works in a white collar position wants to be or, you know, would stand to be treated in such a way. And, um, you know, it doesn't build the kind of professional culture that I think, sadly, we don't yet have at scale in our profession. And so I worry that like, some of the unintended consequences of, of, of a move where we tried to do this and use it in ways that, um, that actually undermines a culture of professionalism will have like a further entrenching effect on some of the stuff that like, um, that has been deeply problematic. And I'll say like, we got to own as educators, part of the reason that people want to, that people feel the need to, you know, quote unquote, hold teachers accountable in this way is that we have not done a good enough job holding ourselves accountable um, to to like having a certain bar of excellence in our profession. And we got, you know, racist teachers running around here who don't ever, you know, uh, can't be held accountable for that. We've covered many of their behaviors on this show. And, yeah. uh, you know, we have some folks who just like are bummy and don't do anything, you know, or like they, they do stuff that's that is not preparing students well for life after, you know, after whatever level of school they're in. And we haven't done a good enough job at being the keepers of the flame on what excellence looks like. So there's a there's a certain degree to which I feel like we've made our bed and we got to lie in it here. But that that does not mean we live in this dystopian film, everything. And that's the answer kind of place, you know, like th I think this could be used in a really empowering way, in a way that helps teachers create 
new ways of accessing learning in their class and new ways to use time in in their class and and for schools to have new ways to 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 use time right because it's always been that like if we want to do something that isn't classroom instruction it either has to take classroom instruction time or it has to happen after school or before school or something right but what if you know you had your classroom presentation on whatever topic filmed and kids could access that as homework instead of the worksheet or whatever as homework and you could spend more of your time together in class actually like just talking and connecting about stuff or debating things you know what i mean like yeah. there's there's and and people are doing stuff like this right but like this this could be something with real investment to help make that stuff happen so it's not just the the teachers who are the most you know sort of cutting edge in terms of foot classrooms and those sorts of things um to empower them and that that could be a beautiful thing yeah there's a lot of great potential and you know yeah when the flip classroom i don't know if, what you would call that movement i don't know when flip cl classrooms became a matter of discussion you know several years ago it obviously at the time was about like cutting edge teachers who you know had the ability or the know-how for to use the technology in that kind of way and you know what about students who are at home and equity issues around you know if the teacher is requiring like for homework let's say um students watch a video about this or that whatever you know what about students who can't do that because lack of technology or broadband or whatever. I think one thing that this pandemic certainly has done has, has built up school districts infrastructure in the sense of like technology in the hands of students and technology um, know-how amongst staff because we've just had to, had to learn it to survive. So there's a lot of potential for that becoming normalized and, and beneficial in that sense. But then there's also just the huge potential for things to not work out very well in, in that kind of way. And I'm just thinking about the next wave of teachers who enter the profession and the possibility that a lot of them will be entering the profession at a time where cameras are the norm. And since early career teachers are under such evaluation pressure, I just, I can't really separate the camera in the classroom from that teacher's own evaluation and that teacher's own thinking about what teaching is or looks like. And, you know, I'm definitely concerned that that might push some, some folks away from the classroom at a time where we really need to like increase the amount of folks interested in teaching and coming into the classroom. But then on the other hand, like you, you pointed out, there's been several incidents that we've talked about on the show of teachers doing really horrible or saying really horrible things that we would have never known about if it wasn't filmed, if a, a student wasn't at home um, recording their Zoom session or, or whatever. And there are enough really damaging, negative, dehumanizing teachers out there that I have been, I've become a huge proponent of uh, students filming whatever the hell's going on so that the world could see. And this, you know, more, more cameras long-term would hopefully help, hopefully help those sort of teachers be identified um, before they're like, you know, 20, 25 years in the classroom and been doing this problematic stuff the whole time, but nobody ever saw it and, and what have you. So yeah, there's so many different complex, like, angles to this. I know myself, I, I think that the future of my teaching experience is going to involve a lot of 
virtual on-camera stuff, regardless of what happens with the pandemic. I think this is just the new way that things are going to go. And maybe this is something that educators need to talk more about in terms of like, how can we make sure that this is done in a way that is beneficial to students, that is helpful for teachers in schools, and that doesn't get co-opted by big tech and the high stakes accountability type folks. Because, of course, it'll be co-opted by those forces, for sure, if we don't shape policies and shape practices that are in line with a humanizing approach towards education. And, and then there's the whole, like, well, what about the students? If a student is opting for virtual instruction or if it's, you know, whatever happens and, and the student is, is connecting from home, what about them and their cameras? Because this, this story that we're, we've referenced here um, by Mark... Kierleber, I, I might have mispronounced his last name, but um, we'll, we'll link it down below here. But it, it also discussed how three-fourths of educators, according to one survey back in the fall, um, said that they require students to be on camera. And maybe those numbers have changed as the school year has worn on and the pandemic has worn on, but that's a lot of educators that are requiring students to be on camera. And according to that data, those policies, those on-camera policies are more strict in districts where, spoiler alert, students of color make up the majority. So then there's the privacy issues around students being on camera. There's the discipline issues around um, disciplining students for not being on camera. And that all has to be sorted out going, going into this hopefully post-pandemic era of education. So yeah, a lot of complex issues, a lot of concerns, a lot of area for really bad things to happen, but a lot of area for hopefully positive good things that happen in terms of making sure students have access to education regardless of the physical circumstances. So yeah, I you know, guess we shall see. I don't know. You know what's really interesting about that uh, that last point you were making, Manuel? So I I attend lots of meetings. My job is, uh, <laughs> is, is certainly the largest chunk of, of what I do in my job is attend meetings mm -hmm. with different types of people, right, to work on different types of things. And uh, it is, you know, apart from small meetings, I, was, I would say once you start getting over like 10, 10 to f maybe 15 people in a meeting, and this is true in, on the like nonprofit side of things and the district side mm -hmm. of things, districts I've worked, I work with in other, uh, you know, in other countries, working with adults at schools, in all of these settings, what is universally true is that there's a significant number of adults who don't have their cameras on in, in Zoom meetings, yep. right? And sometimes it can be half or more of the group has their camera off. Now, we could draw all kinds of conclusions from that if we, if we want, right? We could say they're disengaged. We could say they don't care. We could say they... Um, you know, they're playing what, video games. They're watching YouTube. They're yeah, they're doing something else. They're doing email. They just you know they just needed a Zoom break, you know, because we're all like staring at the screen for hours. So they need to get up and walk around, and they're just listening. Sometimes they're in their car driving somewhere, or they're taking care of their kids. And I'm saying, I we are almost every adult that I work with in my professional context is a person with both a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. A good chunk of them have doctorate degrees. They're all like successful professionals, most of whom, the overwhelming majority of whom have 
at least a solid level of like safety and basic comfort in their home living situation, okay? So certainly conditions that you would think are riper for cameras on than many of our students have, which is, you know, I don't have a room to myself, it's loud, it's whatever. And if we can't get that among adults, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, in in very low stakes situations, nobody's giving you a grade in this, you know, in this meeting. You're just, you know, discussing things with colleagues. Maybe we need to think a little more deeply about um, what message and expectation we're sending to our students about cameras on. Now, I, let me be clear. I think cameras on is actually a critical ingredient for learning. And one of the big reasons learning has been compromised this year is that there hasn't been direct interaction and relationship building with kids and teachers. So I recognize that those two statements are contradictory <laughs> to one another, but but like we can't just be in the business of freaking punishing kids because they have their cameras off, man. Like that's wild. Like so many adults yeah. have cameras off, man. Well, it's the same with everything else. <laughs> Cell phones, speaking in class. Like you go to a staff meeting, so many folks are on their phones. Yeah. So many folks are having side conversations. All the stuff that teachers like to punish students for. Teachers go to their staff meetings and do the exact same stuff. And and yeah, that double standard is very, very, yeah. very real. Um, there's been a group that I've been Zooming with, a very small group, Zooming with for the duration of this year or since the beginning of this year, I should say, once a week. And uh, very recently, we were able to meet in person and everybody's um, been fully vaccinated and, you know, we're still spread out, still had masks on. But I could tell you, like, the in-person, just the feeling of being back in person, talking about, like, like having a meeting, basically, it's just elite, <laughs> elite compared to being on, like, I've, I've missed it a lot. It just felt mm. so much more relaxing. Something about having the camera on, or maybe it's just sitting at the, de I don't, something about it just, like, it yeah. wears on me and it just doesn't feel... It's just, it's, it does not feel good. And I don't blame students at all. I've gotten, as a teacher, I've gotten used to having students have their camera off. In fact, it's sometimes awkward when a student has their camera on, if, unless the whole class has it on, because then it's just like, it's kind of weird. It's just like, okay, us two, and then like a whole bunch of boxes. It's just kind of weird. So I've gotten fully yeah. used to having them off. I, but at the same time, like I, I get it. Um, the, the type of interaction is different when you can actually see the person for sure. Um, yeah. And we'll see. We'll see where this goes. I think, you know, schools for sure have to figure out the the privacy issues, though. You know, um, the article mentioned a teacher who saw something in the um, child's household that um, she wouldn't have known of otherwise if the camera was off. And, and of course, there's been students who have been disciplined for things that were in the background, uh, the BB gun story from Louisiana where the kid was suspended for having like a BB gun in the, on his bed or something like that behind him. So there's all that stuff to, to be sorted out. And, you know, the idea of the state having a camera live in front of or inside of somebody's household, I mean, just that right there is a cause for concern because that's, I mean, your household should be your, your private place. But but yeah, I, I, I assume these things will be sorted out. One day folks will look back on this era and be like, oh, wow, they actually... They didn't have, teachers didn't have body cams and students didn't have body cams and there were cameras everywhere. There weren't VR, you know, <laughs> augmented reality uh, lesson plans available on teachers pay teachers and all this other stuff. Like one day we'll look back on this and be like, oh, that's like, sheesh, they weren't even close to, to what we became. But I don't know. We shall see. We shall see. Yeah. 
I believe that about does it for this week's passing period. I think, man. Well, we we had didn't we have one um, one headline we wanted to talk about, right? Um, with the the news about testing here in California. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. A lot of folks have been asking, uh, at least in California, uh, a lot of teachers have been asking, like, am I going to have to give this SBAC test or nah? So what's what's the latest? Yeah. So uh, as of yesterday, Friday, uh, April second. Uh, the state of California received word, or at least it's been reported, that the state of California received word from the feds, from Miguel Cardona and company at the U.S. Department of Education, that their waiver for state testing this spring, that is not a blanket waiver, so it doesn't mean no testing, but it does mean a few important things. No science testing, so the, the CAST, the California Science Test, uh, will not be administered this spring. And it means that the state, uh, that districts across the state do not have to administer the Smarter Balanced Assessment, um, which in California is called CASP. Uh, so districts do not have to, or it's colloquially called SBAC as well, but um, districts don't have to administer that test in math and in, um, in ELA in grades three through eight and 11 across the state. Now, they still do have to do testing, and there's been some like research done by the state to show that the overwhelming majority of districts across the state already use one of like five of the sort of, uh, of some of the major publisher interim assessments, right? So these are things like um, the Star uh, Renaissance um, assessments, uh, the NWEA map assessments, iReady, um, et cetera, right? A, a bunch of assessments that folks are familiar with uh, in, in different contexts. And uh, so districts could opt to decide on a local measure. And in particular, I think there would be a lot of interest from districts to use interim assessments that they have already used, right? That they were, were this year were required by state law to implement something to assess learning loss throughout the year. Um, but also many districts have already had plans for that in, in place. So what this hopefully, from my perspective, will mean is not a lot of money spent on any new assessment platform. Administering an assessment that teachers and students are already familiar with, or at least mostly already familiar with, and that takes way less instructional time. And then on the back end, that actually yields, because these are interim assessments that are, that are at least certainly more, much more designed than the Smarter Balance summative assessment, to yield information that could be used instructionally, you know, for planning over the summer and going into next school year or whatever, um, or to inform summer school interventions, those sorts of things, um, could actually have much more of an instructional use than the kind of data that we get from the Smarter Balance Assessment, which is essentially a performance band, right? So like, oh, exceeds standards or meets standards or you know approaches standards, uh, and a scale score, which to educators means literally nothing, right? Um, so because it's not a score that that says like, oh, you got an 80 out of 100, which which now I can draw some assumptions behind, right? Um, so. Uh, so I think this is good news, Manuel. There's still a lot to be determined in terms of next steps and like how it gets implemented. But a lot of the real concern around we're going to spend two weeks this spring doing this high-stakes summative assessment that doesn't give us any useful information on the back end, 
hopefully, is out the window for everyone except our English learners who get the extremely onerous honor of taking the LPAC assessment, uh, which is California's assessment for English learners to, uh, to be used as part of the reclassification criteria. So, so tragically, our, some of our most uh, vulnerable students still have this incredibly hard testing requirement to do, but that is, you know, certainly the minority of students overall. And hopefully this means good things for school. But um, what, what is, what's your take on it? Um, yeah, I still say I don't want any assessments this year. <laughs> I want us to fully focus on summer and fall, especially fall, and do the best we can to welcome students to hopefully a humanizing, positive, in-person experience in the fall. And then once we get that all sorted out and once we're in a good place, then consider assessments to produce data that will be directly beneficial to classroom teachers in their um, their work with these students post-pandemic. So I would still say that's the easiest and not easiest, but that's the um the path forward, but whatever. This is better than nothing. I mean, this is, I guess I'll take this as a, a partial win. I'll, I'll, I'll consider it one of those, one of those like, all right, it's uh, all right. You know, all right. I'm not as mad as I would have been otherwise. So I guess I'll, I'll definitely take yeah. that. <laughs> I feel like that's a healthy approach to it because we'll see how the, how like the implementation rolls down from Sacramento to all the districts. But I would I think what you said is fair. Like it is it's is it perfect? No. Is it better than what we were headed towards? Hell yeah, this should be better than what we were headed towards, which yeah. is gonna be an absolute freaking disaster. And the lack of courage among you know folks to just come out and say that, they're like, this is a terrible idea that is going to be harmful, uh, was a little disappointing to me. But um, I'm glad that cooler heads seem to be prevailing and we're not gonna like just outright ruin school this spring for kids who are coming back so yeah we'll see how it plays out but uh fascinating development in the nation's largest state here most populous state yes indeed yes indeed all right folks um just so you know just so you know um we have our guests every every two weeks and you know this is for anybody who might be listening to us for the first time right now and um last week we had kaya brown on and we had phenomenal discussion about students of color in in stem and how to boost stem outcomes for students of color it was very great and we also discussed you know some news and headlines we discussed uh fafsa applications um going down what, during the what, pandemic what kind of application was that Manuel? what, what FAF application was that FASFA is is the 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 way the people say it. FASFA, but you know the, the nerds the nerds free say FASFA for federal student FAF FAF. So Anyways, please continue. So team FASFA over here. So we talked about that, and we also talked about um, what what was the other story from that episode? We talked about FAFSA applications going down. Oh oh, community colleges in California and uh, their real failure to diversify their faculty, despite a very archaic, really sorry, inane law that's on the books that I guess presumably was meant to help them diversify their faculty. So um, so we hit a range of topics on this show. That's that's kind of what we do here. In next week's episode, we are very excited about it because we're bringing back uh, one of our guests who who happened to join us right as the pandemic and the 
nationwide reckoning for racial justice were underway. And that's Joe Truss. And Joe Truss has been spending the last year, aside from being a principal, spending the last year leading these workshops with tons of educators from across the country about dismantling white supremacy culture in schools. And, you know, all that energy that we saw last summer, a lot of that turned out to be performative. A lot of that faded away. And a lot of the discussion shifted to simply, you know, pandemic reopening debates. And we're going to talk to him about, you know, what what has transpired over the last year, what he's learned from working with educators around anti-racism and, you know, what progress he's, he's seen. And then just in general, like, how do we keep this work going? So definitely tune in for that. And of course, we'll have some other stories that we'll talk about as well. So if you haven't already subscribed and given us those five stars, we would very, very much appreciate that, like truly. And I believe that is it, Jeff. Is that it? I, I, the only thing I will add, Manuel, is just this week, Joe Truss uh, released word for his upcoming uh, June Dismantling White Supremacy Conference, who their keynotes are going to be. And our guests may be interested in this because he, like, I mean, your boy Joe Truss swings for the fences, uh, Manuel. <laughs> so keynotes for his four-day conference, uh, Patina Love, Goldie Muhammad. And, and I don't know how you do a mic drop on a podcast, but um, somewhere Joe Trust is doing a mic drop right now. Uh, so if that gives you some sense of, of who Joe Trust is and what he values and is working on, that's who we're bringing on the show um, this coming uh, or next Saturday. So, uh, you know, bookmark that, subscribe, uh, put a little alert on your calendar, use that reminder app on your phone. And uh, make sure you come check out the conversation with, with Joe Truss. Yes, indeed. Don't miss that. All right, folks. Unless you are on spring break like I am, it is time for you to go ahead and get to class.